Hi, I'm Jess and I'm the oldest. Oi, I'm the oldest. I'm Shti, I'm the dad and this is actually my podcast. And I'm Tommy, I'm the youngest. Welcome to the podcast. The, the heart of hearts, we're all very creative. I've had a very interesting life. You've travelled all over the world. I remember being... Oh, interesting. This is not how I remember the story stories. Pints are not a good measure for filling Jacobs' view. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to another episode of The Pod Clarks, which is where uh, me and my sister Jess ask our dad to tell us stories about his life, because he's had an interesting life, as you heard in the intro. Um, and we have a very special guest with us this week, which is Mutz, or Mother. Hello, Mother. Hello. Mother. Or Sarah, I was gonna... if you like. <laughs> yeah, mother. mother. I don't think I've ever been called Mother. Oh, Mother. Hello, mother. Mother. She goes yes. by many names, Sarah, Mum, Mutz, and occasionally Mother when we've lost all sense of who we really are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Great. Hi, everybody. So, Dad, it's a new week. What's your story? Well, this week I thought I would talk a little bit about um, the area where we first lived and where you two first lived, actually. Now, you probably remember, at least talk of, um, the, the town's hospital, and Mutz will certainly remember this because uh, you were both, both were born there. Uh, it was demolished in 1993, so you probably won't remember it, but um, it was demolished sort of piecemeal, really. Um, they had various bulldozers and big bits of machinery that um, were there, just gradually knocking it down. And of course, I was fascinated to see how they were doing this, because they were trying to recycle and save some of the materials. So it had a fantastic slate roof, for example, and all the slates were taken off and, and stacked neatly to one side, um, ready for reuse. Um, but other parts of it were just sort of bulldozed. And it had a kind of makeshift secu- so-called security fence around it um, to stop people going and having a look. But on the back side of the hospital, where the canal ran along, there was a, there was a gap um, and they hadn't, they hadn't fenced that off. And I, I, you know, I just couldn't resist. <laughs> going to have a look and see what was going on because it, it was just I mean I was like a boy really it was just so interesting big machinery and stuff you know so one evening I went and clambered through this gap so you're a fully grown adult at this point with children just to clarify well let's just say that <laughs> that Jess was three and you were one so yes mm. um I haven't I'm not proud of it and I haven't got any excuses really it was just interesting so I hopped to this gap and um picked my way through now most of the roof had gone and quite a few of the walls had gone, but the front door was still there, uh, sort of flapping in the wind. And I went through the front door and, and the whole sort of rather impressive wide staircase going upstairs was still there. And as I'm sort of talking to you now, I have to say, warning alert, don't try this at home, folks, ever. <laughs> because um, I definitely shouldn't have been on a building site on my own. But anyway, I was. And I went up the stairs to see what was going on. And what I found was this hospital was in part demolished and in part people hadn't moved out yet. That There were entire rooms that were complete and, and everything in them still, including patient beds, lamps. No patients, though. There were no patients, though. And um, it, was like, it was like a sort of Marie Celeste ghost hospital. I mean, nobody ever went back in there to, to move out because it was far too dangerous. It was being demolished. But in one room, I found a whole lot of metal filing cabinets. Um, some of them tipped on their sides with the drawers spilling out open. And in there were patient records, bits of paper with names of people. Did it get, was it like not being knocked down 
kind of without much planning or had it happened suddenly or why hadn't they? It, I, I, I mean, I don't know the answer to any of those questions. I'm only reporting what I saw. But I mean, it, there was a massive um, mess up somewhere along the line because... I, I presume that the contractors for demolition were contracted to start on a particular date and couldn't change that, and they hadn't had time to move out. And somebody somewhere just sort of closed their mind to it and hoped for the best. But, I mean, it was absolutely shocking to see. Because, of course, the other thing was the waste. I mean, there were lots of perfectly serviceable um, lights and equipment and um, and bits and pieces. And I, 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 I toyed for a long time with what to do with this, and I did wonder about phoning somebody up and saying particularly about the patient records which um should never have been just open to the to the to the elements but anyway um i mean there's there's not much more to this story actually except that i picked my way through this spooky hospital in the dying dusk of night with things creaking and swinging in the wind and no roof above me and filing cabinets lurching to one side and round every corner i was thinking i'm sure there's something moved there i definitely <laughs> saw something that moved and there probably was, but it wasn't anything spooky or a person. But, I mean, just an in- interesting sort of reflection. And I, all the time I was thinking, God, my gosh, this is where Jess and Tom, Tommy were born. Mm. <laughs> what sort of time of day was it when you were looking around there? It was dusk when I cam- clambered through the, the gap and it was dark when I came out. Yikes. And I did take some pictures. It is just possible I've still got those pictures somewhere, um, although I think they've probably been a casualty of moving several times. But if I have, and if we've got any website links to this uh we'll stick them up somewhere because it would be interesting mm. yeah definitely photographic evidence mm. i think the maternity part was the last bit to be used late 1992 it was in use but pr- mm. probably the rest of the hospital i think because it was like a separate annex around the back wasn't it the maternity it bit. was that i mean and, yeah. and everything i've just described didn't relate to the maternity unit actually it was mm. the big sort of two three-story building mm which, as you say, probably had stopped being used a year or two before, yeah. but was only being demolished in, 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 at that time. Also, if it was being used in late 1992, Tommy, you might have been one of the last babies born there. Maybe I was. Not to, you know, give too many details away about how old you may or may not be. <laughs> uh, my, date of birth, my date of birth is a secret. Don't tell anybody. Late 1992. <laughs> next year's going to be a big year. Is it? It'll be... Because... Because. 2022. I don't even know my own age. <laughs> Minus 30. Yeah. Oh, it's a bit like late 1992, isn't it? That's funny. <laughs> but anyway, that, I mean, that, that whole hospital was a real sort of um, part of, of your generation's growing up, really, because all your contemporaries were tended to be born in that. Um, and when it closed, they were then, you know, babies were born in Stratford or Coventry or Banbury or somewhere. It was, it was never quite the same. Mm. But that, that hospital building was also in the same area where we had our first house. It was a, a house in a, a, a row of terraced houses built by the Victorians. Nice little little places. And they were sort of quite run down in those days, um, often inhabited by students from Warwick University. And uh, we bought number, number eight, which was not derelict exactly, but had a lot of problems with it and spent a lot of time Decorating it, I remember much. Indeed. Did we buy it for 15,000 or something ridiculous? 17,000. 17,000. That is so. And it had an old um, uh, iron pump, water pump in the kitchen, if you can believe it, for pumping water. One of those handles that you push up and down to pump. Does that connect you to the mains or to a well? Well, there was a a well outside the back door. Mm. So that's where you got the water from? No, the pump pump wasn't working. The the seals had had long since gone, but it was still there, which was funny. 
Oh, I see what you mean. It's not the way that you got water, but it was just... It we was did just have there. a main supply with an actual tap that you turned. Mm. But, I mean, ironically enough, we took the pump out thinking what a gorgeous bit of history it was and put it out in the backyard. And um, then it was, it was stolen from the backyard oh. of all the things that were ever stolen from us, which is very little. There was a real trend for people to have these water pump things, wasn't there, in their gardens or something, huh. like a fashion item. High value. Yeah. Is it sort of like, I'm picturing quite a hefty, solid yeah. piece of yeah. metal, yeah. I'm imagining it. Right. There's like about two or three, two, two foot six tall, and, and yeah, you had to really lug it to move it. with a great bit of lead piping mm. on, the, um, ah. on the bottom. That's probably what it was. So just for interest's sake, uh, £15,000 in 1990 is like £35,000 today, which is Whoa. Oh, it's, it's, <laughs> it's complete insanity to think that you could buy a whole house for £35,000. That... That that at the moment is like maybe a minimum mm. deposit. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Mm. Well, this is one of the conundrums of our generation, really, is that 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 is something that will never happen again. I mean, in fact, this, the the source of this next story is about how we benefited from that almost kind of well, not without realizing it, but um, but anyway, we bought the house for seventeen thousand. We that was number eight. And next door was number 10. And in number 10, there was a lady called Mrs Longbottom uh, who uh, owned that. And she was an elderly woman, lived on her own. She had a nephew with big teeth and sticky out ears who was a bit rubbish at everything he tried. He was called Neville. (laughs) (laughs) Not really. Carry on. For a minute, I thought, well, I I thought you were describing her son. I thought, gosh, I can't remember you remembered her son, but you did say nephew. (laughs) No, um, Harry Potter. Drive. Yes, no, I got it. Yeah, I'm there eventually. Anyway, the um, she used to call me through or us through if she had any problems, and there were two occasions when she called us through that are really bizarre. So the the first time she called me through, she came and knocked on the door. And she said, uh, "Stephen," she said, "I can't take it anymore. It's driving me nuts. The noise, the noise, and I don't know where it's coming from." So I went through with into her into her living room, um, and her house was exactly the same as ours, but it was like a mirror image because they were terrorists, and the, the the front doors were side by side, but the other way around. And you walked through into the back room where she had her sort of living room, and there was this noise, and it was a bit like um, a distant motorcycle rumbling, but a bit more crackly than that. But it was loud enough to be very disturbing in the room and it was making the, the glass... She had a display cabinet with her crockery in it and the glass in the doors was all rattling, going... Hmm. Because of this noise. And I thought, well, I, I've never seen anything like this. I, don't even, I have no idea what is causing this. But anyway, by sort of listening around, I eventually got my ear to the ground and I could hear that it was coming from under the ground, this noise. And in fact, if I put my hand on the ground, it was, it was kind of vibrating so anyway I, I peeled back the carpet and underneath was what we used to call quarry tiles red and black square tiles and a sort of check checkboard um, chessboard pattern and they were all soaking wet and so I thought oh this is okay click this is a water problem so <laughs> I went down to the cellar where most of these houses had their water main tap for turning on stopcock for turning off the water um, no stopcock in fact no pipes down in the cellar so all I could do was, was start to pick up these um, tiles and, and prise them up. And as I did, there was a sort of a spray of water from a pipe, a lead pipe. And I quickly followed this lead pipe by un- unpacking the, the, the tiles and discovered that this pipe went right through the wall into our house. 
It was going, it went through because just the other side of her wall was our wall, and they were joined together. And so I realised that we'd got a shared water main. So I ran round to our house and turned our water main off in our house and came back and the noise had stopped. Right. So, so where's the noise coming from? Well, I then sort of excavated a bit more and uh, under the quarry tiles was, was just earth, soil. And in the soil was this lead pipe snaking its way through to the kitchen uh, under the tiles. And right at this point where it was most moist, where it was sort of in a puddle of water really, there was a perfect V in the lead pipe. I could see that that's where it was pierced. And you could almost surmise with a pretty high chance of certainty that in 1850 or 189, sorry, 1890 or 1895 or something, when the builders were building the houses, they were sort of there on a Friday afternoon and old matey said to his other friend, well, time to knock off for the, for the weekend and sort of put his, his shovel down on the, on the lead pipe. Um, and of course I'm making all this up looked at it and thought that can't that can't harm it's only a little nick and then covered it all up again and over the next hundred years mm. it had just been waiting for a little bit of settlement for that pipe to bend as, Les does, as lead does until that V opened up into a into a, into a leak which then spurted Maine's water out for two weeks she'd been sitting there with his, her glass rattling and the, oh, and when, oh, the thing I forgot to say was when I went down to the cellar to, to look for the pipes I, I didn't only find I didn't find any pipes and what I did find was the cellar was about four feet deep in water <laughs> yes yeah, I was going to say it's two weeks worth of yikes so the noise was just the pipe sort of wiggling around from the pressure of the water and it's spurting out and being constrained by these tiles really yeah. um, but but of course the thing is our water was now turned off because it couldn't be turned on again until her fitting was fixed mm. so I can't I think we eventually just quickly got a plumber in to come and sort of do a quick repair and then eventually replace the whole pipe but that was the first absurd thing that happened and the second absurd thing was even more bizarre. Absurd. <laughs> oh, well, she came, she came through one day and she said, um, I've got a problem with my toilet. Now, her toilet was outside the back of the house. It was very rudimentary, her kind of um, setup, And she hadn't ever had any hot water in the house. She heated water up on the stove for cooking and for, for making a cup of tea and for washing and so on. So it was just cold water. That's all she had in the house. And yet at the back of her house, you went outside into almost like a shed thing. And there was her toilet with a high-level cistern at the top. And when she'd flushed it, she'd noticed that um, the water was steaming. <laughs> and then she sort of investigated a bit closer. And it was hot water was coming down from the cistern of the toilet. And I looked at it and I, I put, put my finger in the toilet and it was warm, the water in the, in the basin of the toilet. Which just, again, like the water, I thought I'd never it's seen just anything. wrong. <laughs> is, this, is this magic? What's the... Anyway, I thought to get heat in water, it has to do something with electricity. Um, and I, so I went back down to the cellar, actually, to have a look at the fuse box and realised that, uh, you know, it was just archaic. It had been wired in the 1940s, I think. So, you know, 60 years previously, nearly. And... Um, uh, it just looked all desperate. And I thought, well, I don't know what's going on here, but I'm going to call an electrician. And we called the electric electricity board out. And they, they took one look at it, put one metre on it, and condemned it and turned it off and sealed it off so it couldn't be turned on again. Good thing it wasn't the same day she had her water turned <laughs> off, really. <laughs> how, long, how long had she been living in that house for? Um, I, well, I think, I don't know much, do you know? I can't remember. I'm not sure. I would say probably since she was married or something. Yes, I, I felt so, it was their only home. Um, and she was probably about 80 then. 
Yeah. So she might have been there 60 years wow. or something. I wonder how much it cost her to buy that house. <laughs> yeah, yeah tuck and save me, probably. <laughs> she had a bit of change from 50p, huh? But um, th- what the electricity board said was that there was a short onto the metal pipework, but it wasn't a direct short. It was like um, a partial short. So the pipes were acting like a heating element of a kettle, basically, and were partially live. So if you touched any pipework, you, you were in danger of having a shock. And, I mean, I still don't... I follow how that could have happened now, but it, but I, I saw it with my own eyes. <laughs> so mm. It definitely did happen, and that um, that was so. He actually had to have a um, the place whole place rewired and made safe. Um, I think they made it safe pretty quickly with just like one socket in the cooker, and then she had to have the whole mm. house done. And this goes back to my grandfather now, my my mother's father, who was a a Victorian gentleman, really a carpenter and a policeman, different parts of his career. And he said to my mother, who then reported to me, that if he had a second property, he'd always have an income. So he saved up and saved up. He lived in Tunbridge Wells. And he saved up and saved up and bought the house next door to him, which, funnily enough, was a, a terraced house like the one I'm, I'm just talking about now. And I happen to know that he paid £200 for that um, <gasps> uh, in those days, which might have been about the same sort of time. I don't, I don't know as, as Mrs Longbottom, but um, he, he paid £200. And he then, as he said to my mother, had a, a property that had an income, you know, whatever his career was doing, whatever was going on in the carpentry industry, he had some money coming in because he could let it out. And um, my mum told me this and I remembered it. And in a way that stuck with me. And so that when... Mrs Longbottom eventually, as happens to all of us, moved on to better things. That house came up for sale for the shocking price of £40,000. And uh, I had my grandfather's words ringing in my ear when Mutz and I discussed the possibility of trying to buy it. I mean, we didn't have £1, let alone (laughs) 40000 So it went up quite a lot, didn't it? Because what year was that when we bought it? A couple of years later, I suppose. Yeah, that's mm. 40,000 compared to 17. So. Well, that was just the beginning, really, but because it, it then went on and on, and they now sell for a quarter of a million, those pound, those houses, so it's absolutely mm. absurd. But when, when that house came up for sale, I wrote to anybody I could think of, targeting particularly people without children and people who'd retired, and sent them all the same letter saying... If they had any spare money, uh, I was looking for investments of £5,000 and we would pay slightly more than the banks were paying as interest rates. But we weren't in a position because of our employment status to borrow any more money from normal traditional financial institutions. But anyway, I wrote to about um, 10 people and asked for £5,000 and about eight of them came back saying, absolutely, you can have £5,000. And one chap wrote back and said, you can have 10000 and one of them will be interest-free. <laughs> Amazing. So this was an early introduction to finding that people, some people have more money than they actually know what to do with. Mm. Um, and uh, the other thing about that was that one of my investors um, had invested in a thing called a unit trust which was very popular in those days where you put some money away for a certain length of time and you couldn't take it out but the interest rate was supposed to be good but they could go out down as well as up and uh, she that very morning my letter arrived had got another letter in the same post giving her a valuation of investment she had made some years previously weirdly enough for five thousand pounds and weirdly enough worth now 4,800. In other words, over five years, it had gone down 200 pounds. Oh, no. So she thought, well, he's a risky chap, but can he be any worse than that sort of thing? (laughs) 
and that that gave us the forty thousand that we were able to then then buy the house with, and and mm. really and truly, we we wouldn't be sitting out here in France now. Not that we're mega wealthy, but we 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 had enough money to then sort of play a bit with the properties so that as they went up, we could um, we could buy this place in France. Can so, I? Um, and eventually, sorry, okay. Yeah. Please, please do, Jess. I want to float the uh, the notion that although although it's true. Uh, that if you have a second property, you'll always have a second income. I think that is a very controversial statement these days um, in terms of the kind of the massive, the sort of disproportionate gaps between, um, I guess, your generation and, and the sort of ability to buy houses and our generation and our kind of reliance largely on landlords who sort of generally sort of monopolising the uh, the kind of property market and therefore... It, you know, we we um, are talking a lot about kind of whether we'll ever be able to buy a house and what our sort of finances would need to be to even begin to think about it. And one thing that comes up a lot is, for me definitely, is a frustration that I am paying more in rent than I would be paying for a mortgage if I could get a mortgage. But I think it's highly unlikely I'll be able to get a mortgage as a as a freelancer, particularly after, you know, everything we've, that's happened with this pandemic. And it's it's the the balance just seems so off and I don't know how we I don't know how we change that I don't know how we sort that I I mean I I I totally agree with that actually and I mean all I'd say in our defense although I know you're not attacking attacking us all all I'd say is we were we were right at the same sort of place that you're at um it's just that because of the timings and also over the years that we've had the second property it hasn't really and truly been so much an income in the sense that most of our tenants have, well, quite a lot of the time haven't paid rent because they couldn't pay rent. And we've never thrown anyone out. We've never, you know, there was a time when there was somebody who was in a property for a year and not paying rent. But, I mean, we said to each other, we can't put somebody on the streets. So we didn't ever get the payment for that. It was about £3,000, I think. And I've always seen a property that we rent to somebody as their home and um, particularly because of the types of people who have rented office, I mean, then they've never been sort of high level um, properties. You, you sort of see it almost as a social service. But what it did for us is it guarded the capital. It, it meant we didn't spend the capital. So that if, if, for example, any of us in our family was ill or had to, had to be, I don't know, go somewhere for special treatment or something, there is something that we would never have had from, from our employment to, to cover that. But I mean, you know, you, you just, I, I don't disagree with you, Jess. I think, I think there's a massive inequity. And I, I once said it would be probably a good idea if one zero at least, and probably two, could just come off the value of every house. You know, it, it would just, what would the outcome of that be? Because it is very unjust. Um, all I try to do and all we try to do is be as generous as we can with what we've ended up with. Although in the early days, we did work jolly hard to, to for it to, to work i know yeah i can remember for example jess you were in a moses basket in number 10 or, or a cot or something while mutz and i were sort of decorating it till midnight or something trying to get it you know there was a lot of work involved it wasn't just kind of like but then of course on the other side 
the property prices did go right up and that was money for nothing so i'm uncomfortable with it but it's yeah, yeah no and i'm and i'm not i'm not um you know i i'm i think you are very good landlords and i, I i'd like i wish i wish our landlords were were, were you but but yeah. sadly they're not and and kind of we've had a we've had a mixed experience of of i'd say we have we have had a landlord who who feels much more in your camp of it, of of renting us a place that that they own and feel like is is being rented to us as our home and it felt always like a very kind of honest sort of um I don't transaction feel like the wrong word but sort of they they were always very honest with us yeah relationship yeah Mm. about Mm. kind of you know what was happening and you know when we got engaged she was so happy for us it was really cute (laughs) but you know and but I would say that our our current landlord is 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 the sort of polar opposites of that and it's I, don't, I mean, I just, I kind of, I think, I don't know exactly know why the houses have jumped up so much in price, but I think it has to be the thing that we find an answer to. And I don't know how we do it of just of sort of, mm. I don't know, yeah, making making housing more affordable and without it being like, I'm hearing them talk a lot about these 5% mortgages at the moment, which is uh, certainly a solution, but it just feels again like it's, while it might make it easier in the initial run, it's still eventually going to be way more expensive, mm. right? Anyway, th- this is diving right down into an economic hole, but it's just something... Well, no, but just, just interestingly <laughs> enough, uh, just right opposite us from that those two houses that we bought next door to each other, there was a lady who'd lived in that same... Another lady who'd lived in a very similar house for decades and decades and decades. And she said to, to us one time, she said... I said, have you you've rented this all these years? And she said, oh, yes. She said, we're not the people to take on the responsibility of bricks and mortar. Oh, no. And I couldn't understand it at all at the time. But afterwards, I thought, well, there is a place for for people who don't mind taking risks and trying a bit of sort of um, property development to provide for people who don't want to do those risks and who want the security of having a property that they can live in and just pay their rent each month. But the trouble is, it's become profit-driven. But as you say, this is now an economic uh, discussion, which is boring for everyone. (laughs) But I mean, Tommy, Tommy, all of your landlords were scurrilous at college, weren't they, as far as I can remember? Uh, Yeah, basically. Yeah, scurrilous (laughs) is a good word for it. Student Student landlords. Student landlords, yeah. I've had one good landlord, which was where we were renting directly from someone. So there was no sort of middle company, um, which I think is always a good thing. Because that was great, because you could just text her and she would then, you know help you out with whatever it was um but more often than not it's part of a big company who are slow to respond to emails and don't have any kind of personal touch mm. they just have their policies and stuff we anyway get, we're we still get, in this economic hole it's but that's the rise of the as per my my email we get so many emails as per my <laughs> as per my previous email and it's like just talk to me like a human <laughs> As per. <laughs> this is from your landlord, you mean? Uh, yeah, yeah, I, and I'd agree with yeah, Tommy yeah, that, yeah. that the that the 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 best our best landlord was when we were renting off someone directly because because yeah, it's just it's mm. just it's just two people sort of. People remember that it's a human being at the other end of the yeah, email. Yeah, totally. Mm. <laughs> but interestingly enough, I mean, we could never afford to buy any of the houses that we've lived in in Leamington Spa now. Um, you know, mm. not not even slightly. We benefited from the M40, didn't we? Being built. And mm. house prices went up a lot in Leamington and Warwick mm. because properties uh, or businesses moved out of London because now Leamington was quite had good accessibility because of the M40. So was the M40 not and there it, when you first moved there? 
No, it wasn't. No, in fact, we walked fact, down the fast lane of we, it. Just we be- did. Before it opened. When it was, <laughs> but just, sort of just before it opened, you know, I you hope could, it was a quick walk. You could get onto it. You could walk on it. But, um, you know, there were no cars. And yeah, mm. we went, went and walked on it. That, that, we're talking about the section between Birmingham and Oxford. The Oxford to London bits existed a lot longer. But um, yeah, it made a big mm. difference. I think, this, uh, I think this episode needs to be called Risky Things That You Absolutely Shouldn't Do If You're Listening. <laughs> <laughs> walk, walk in a fast lane. Visit a <laughs> Jump in an abandoned hospital. Yeah. Absolutely. Good out. But that was a little bit of our early, early family life in Leamington Spa, those two tales. Mm. It's really interesting because I don't... Um, I, don't, I sort of know of but I don't remember it at all there you go all that time I was trying to avoid mentioning the name but there it's coming out anyway so. oh, okay. <laughs> oh you can cut that out then I'll say it again it's fine the editor always no, just, finds a way oh it's alright people people can just google Mrs Longbottom <laughs> well I changed her name specifically as well so. oh did you <laughs> oh I nearly said that's not her name <laughs> <laughs> And then I thought, I wonder if you'll slip up. <laughs> no, professional over here. This is, I, I don't know what I'm going to do now. I'll have to put in some beeps so people can enjoy the silliness. <laughs> you'll just have to have a section which is like... A little bit of like yeah. beep. <laughs> the bits that we can't include because it, it's too identifying but also funny. Oh, I know what it is. Well, we make a Patreon account and anybody who pays money gets to hear all the secrets of uh, <laughs> who the real, real names are. <laughs> and then I think, I think to attract more interest, you should put at the front of it... Um, foul language and violence and then they'll think the beeps are foul language and violence <laughs> like Lost has got at the front of it so. yeah and the office as well always has like really awful um, warnings like content warnings yes. of uh, drug use yeah and you're like it's the office it's like come on <laughs> but anyway always very disappointed well, there you go. Episode two done and dusted thank you very much for listening thanks for your story Stephen it's goodbye from me it's goodbye from me And it's goodbye from me. And bye from me. Until next time. Bye. 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 Bye.